Welcome to the Monocle Podcast. We are an independent management consulting firm, and in this podcast, we discuss our latest insights and opinions to help you achieve exceptional performance in banking and insurance together. Welcome to the Monocle Insights Podcast. I'm Guy Wilding, Research Lead at Monocle, and earlier this year, we got a reminder as to why the banking industry remains one of the most regulated industries in the world. Uh, we saw the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic in the US, as well as the collapse of the European banking giant Credit Suisse in Europe, which highlighted again the continued need for effective risk management and supervision. And so now in the US, we've seen the proposed launch of the Basel III Endgame Rules, a very dramatic title for updated bank capital requirements. But in the European Union, United Kingdom and South Africa, preparation for the finalized Basel reforms released by the BCBS in 2017 have been ongoing for years. In today's episode, we're joined by Dilbert Lacrancy, Senior Executive at Monocle, to discuss uh, the latest developments around Basel reform implementation, but in particular, the credit risk reporting amendments that we've seen uh, been proposed by the Saab for South African banks, as well as how Monocle is assisting our clients with these requirements. Diavolt, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Guy. Thanks for having me. The Basel reforms, uh, they aim to address the, the current standard deficiencies. So that's uh, around uh, variations in capital calculations and reporting, uh, as well as the use of uh, internal models. Uh, and the scope of the reforms is rather significant. So it impacts credit, markets, and various other uh, risk types. Uh, and implementation has been considerably complex. This year, we've seen lengthy implementation delays in the UK, uh, European Union, and now in South Africa, uh, moving the deadline to 2025. Why have regulators pushed out deadlines and, and should be banks be worried about losing momentum? So, yeah, so I think it first started with the COVID pandemic, or first of all, it started with the BIS themselves proposing the movement of the timelines. I think with a new pertinent threat to their business and potential revenue in COVID, uh, banks could do with a bit of a breather. And I don't think it was just banks. I mean, it was a lot of industries, you know, were globally affected. I think that was a rational decision from the BIS. In the SA context, even apart from that, the timelines have always been ambitious. So usually the BIS proposes timelines and then the regulators from each jurisdiction will come back and say, well, this is their timeline, which will you know, be more or less in the same ball ballpark. But traditionally, for most of the regs, the Prudential Authority haven't always committed to the earliest timelines like some of the other regulators have done. So in this instance, the PA was quite ambitious, I think, with the finalized Basel III regs to begin with. I don't think the industry realistically expected um, to make that timeline. But then also, I think some of the reason it's delayed is due to the PA themselves. They were a bit slow in actually releasing their versions of the regulations. So, you know, as part of the Bank Act, even though the Basel regs, which is just the standards that BIS have, has published, has been there since 2017. It's only been in the last couple of years where the PA has started publishing the South African version. So obviously that means a lot of uncertainty for banks. So they can't really just start. There's not necessarily the urgency to just start and know what they're working towards. And that was one of the main reasons why um, the regs from in SA is a bit delayed. And ultimately, the rational decision was made to postpone it to a more realistic timeline, which was definitely welcomed by the industry. And so now that banks have this additional time, how should they proceed to make sure that they can use this time effectively? 
first of all, they should adopt the approach of continuing with the same momentum. They should certainly not take the foot on, on, off the pedal. They should also budget for an extra you know, year and a half of implementation time, which doesn't just mean it's extra time working towards the finalized regulation, but it also means running in parallel with the current Basel three, so to speak, or Basel two systems and reporting. And it will also mean that in the interim, they'll need to do impact studies, stock takes of where they are, and continue submitting things like the QIS. Because a lot of what is in the QIS is to gauge the gap and the impact of the Basel three reforms. So obviously that's something that banks wouldn't have to be doing anymore once they've gone live on the Basel reforms, but now it just means they will need to continue doing that. They, they, they definitely have to still, I feel, push forward because even though the timelines have been extended, like I said, it was always ambitious to begin with. So it's just now more realistic and if they, they, they can easily find themselves falling behind again if they lose the momentum. And then also largely, lastly, this now gives banks the opportunity to do it right and not cut corners. So they can do things right from the ground up and also get the documentation and all of those soft requirements in place also, and not just thinking about the bottom line, getting the numbers, getting the data, reporting and calling it a day, but actually making sure the due diligence is done around all of these processes. So two things, I think they, they, they still need to push because the timelines won't be extended again, not in my, my opinion, and also they, they can now afford to do things properly. It's always that argument between getting your tactical solution over the line. And I think having that increased time allows you to, like you mentioned, get a strategic solution in with long-term uh, sites and long-term value. Exactly, exactly. So we've also seen a significant push by regulators over the last few years to improve reliability of regulatory reporting, um, as well as the controls around risk data. Uh, and in South Africa, we've seen the Saab release the proposed amendments to credit risk reporting around the BA200 and 210 returns. Tell us a little bit more about the amendments and what banks will need to focus on uh, in order to successfully implement these changes. Yeah, so obviously the reporting changes follows the main changes in terms of you know, calculating and measuring their risk. So a lot of the things that they already would need in terms of data will just flow through, flow through to the reports. The reports are part and parcel of the change. I think specifically on the reports from the bank side, as a lot of banks tend to automate their reporting, so once they have their results, um, they have either software or code that aggregates it for them so that most of the work is automated. But this, the changes in the reporting templates where there's changes like new line items in existing tables, but also completely new tables, means that they will need to change their code and their software that pushes into these templates. Um, it also means that they will probably need to adjust certain things that um, they used to look at that now gets looked at in a different light. So from a data to a process to a coding-wise, there will be changes that, that banks need to make. The, the reports were one of the later things finalized by the PA. So only up until recently, they moved towards a more finalized draft of the report. So there was been quite a few significant changes between one draft and the other in terms of line items being removed and put back and so forth. So banks wouldn't really have put much effort yet into changing their current automated processes. Most of the reporting that they would have been done in the form of the QIS or as an impact would have been tactical high-level solutions. So I think going forward, there will be a lot of emphasis in changing the automation of reports and um, yeah, making sure the way that they submit, you know, using you know, either DICs or whatever system they use to submit to the SAR, 
that all of these systems are still compliant and work with the new formats and new templates. Is there anything specifically in those changes that you mentioned that we should highlight? So, so one of the big changes, obviously, is around the standardized approach and the output flaw. So a lot of the banks um, didn't calculate large portions of their portfolio on the standardized approach. Now they will need to do, but also they will need to get the data to classify a lot of those exposures um, correctly because there's been changes in the asset classification for standardized approach, especially on the real estate. And this you can see in the BA report where there's new tables for, in the BA 200 that is, but there's new tables for, or let's say revised new tables, more detailed tables for the LTV bands and the breakdown of the LTV ratios on their real estate exposures. There's also changes in line items for the asset classification in both the standardized and IRB tables. So a lot of these things stem from the changes in asset classes, changes in risk weight bands and LTV bands, etc. Uh, and then lastly, banks will also now need to show the output flaw, a portfolio-wide calculation on the standardized approach and how that number compares to their internally calculated capital number. And that's something that um, is completely new and that they would need to do. And also probably need to automate. So that would have a big impact, I think, on the way they report and how they also report to management and to capital management in terms of where the risk and where the, 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 the capital hits are being taken. I think the challenge is there, not only having to update current reports, but also having to start from the ground up on certain new requirements, like you mentioned. Yes, definitely, definitely. So at the beginning of the podcast, we touched on the US, the United States, and how they're starting to get the ball rolling on their Basel reform work. Uh, but internationally, banks have been updating their systems and processes for years, like, like we've been speaking about. Um, I mean, the BIS Bank for International Settlement, uh, they released the, the reforms back in 2017. So it's been quite a while. So what have been some of the main challenges that banks have experienced in the implementation? And how's Monaco been involved with our banking clients? I think certainly one of the main challenges is additional data elements and additional data sourcing, uh, as well as additional calculation that banks had to do. Um, again, with the risk of repeating myself, a lot of it stems for instance, from the output floor requirement. Like I mentioned, a lot of our banks did most of or large parts of their portfolios on internal methods, meaning you don't bother with sourcing external ratings to map your risk weights uh, or classifying the asset classes as per the standardized approach. So I think in that aspect, um, a lot of banks were caught a bit off guard uh, and then when they actually do the calculation with stopgap data or prudent defaults, they realize that the capital floor calculation shoots up. The, the internal number is far below the, the floor on the standardized number, which then means they're going to need a lot more capital um, to hold back for their risk. So this also then caused them to question you know, some of their, their business lines. You know, Is it still profitable to then continue with certain business lines or you know, is it worthwhile to go and source things like external ratings and subscribe to a service like that? That was certainly a big challenge for the bank. Further to that, they also discovered that it's been a while since Basel II was first implemented with minor changes here and there that was usually in isolation. But with Basel III and the scrutiny that's now in the REC process, they've realized that a lot of their old and legacy processes were outdated. They're not technically 100% even Basel II compliant. So now they need to go and fix things that are not directly related to a Basel III change, but they have to fix it from the ground up um, and they have to rework something entirely. So I think that was a big, big surprise to a lot of, lot of the banks and it caused for a lot of headache. And I think that's also why they weren't in a position, even if certain changes were ideally not 
they thought it wouldn't affect them. They realized in a retrospect, yes, it does affect them um, a lot more than they initially anticipated. And hence, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done, I believe, from all the banks and from what we've seen. And that's where, you know, we as Monocle can actually come and help because we've been involved in regulatory and Basel work for quite a while, from Basel two days. So we understand the fundamentals. So even if something didn't fundamentally change for Basel three, we still understand you know, where it comes from, the original principles and how it should be done. And certain principles remain the same. So even though Basel three introduced certain changes, principle of asset classification and your data and modeling your data correctly for reg purposes, all of that remains still true to the day. And that's where Monocle has a lot of expertise. So we were able to you know, help the clients. And also because we have exposure across multiple clients, we learn from the mistakes of one client and we can then apply that at the next client. And, and I think there, the monocle experience, you know, across the, the reg landscape and across the various South African banks was definitely, you know, something that proved very valuable to our clients where we were assisting them in doing this, this work. I mean, that's one thing that's so important is, is the context of the Basel reforms and like you mentioned, there's there's so many iterations that we've been involved in on in the past, and then being in our uh, with our clients for so long, we have the understanding of their business and IT and data context, um, and to bring all that together is I think incredibly powerful. Uh, and I think it's a massive undertaking as well. So the delays, while they might take a little bit of the pressure off, uh, it really is up to the banks uh, to keep their foot on the gas and reach those deadlines. Because um, like you mentioned, there's it's fairly unlikely that we'll get another delay. And it's the opportunity to do it right um, and to build those strategic solutions. So Deval, yeah, thank you for coming on the podcast again and sharing your insights. Thanks for having me, Gary. For our listeners who'd like to learn more about what we do at Monocle, you can find all our insights on our website, including our Basel a reform insights paper, as well as our latest case study regarding the fundamental review of the trading book and our implementation of that at a client. Similarly, if you'd like to contact us, you can find all our details on our website for both our European and South African practices. Visit monoclesolutions.com to subscribe for updates. From Johannesburg to London, Cape Town to Amsterdam, Monocle, we design change.